This is Start and Keep Going. I'm Molly Cash, and I want to help you succeed by refusing to quit. Today, I'm sharing one of the most mind-blowing concepts I've ever learned in my life. I learned this about five years ago from Jody Moore's podcast. If you're not familiar with her, she is an excellent life coach. I've had the privilege of being trained by her in her advanced certification program, and it was awesome. But long before that, I fell in love with her podcast five years ago, and I can honestly say that this concept has completely changed my life. Are you ready? You may have heard this before. Thoughts create feelings. That's it. Just three little words. It's such a simple idea, but so powerful and so empowering to understand this and how to apply it to yourself. I want to do a few episodes on the basics that I help my clients with, kind of basics of thought work and the things that I do to help them achieve goals or just feel better or help with relationships, with work, with money. We coach on all kinds of stuff, but at the root of it are some of the same basic principles, and this is one of the very most important. So again, thoughts create feelings. And first of all, the way that we feel is very important because, you know, we have to feel it, but also because it influences everything that we do and the way that we do it. It influences the way we interact with everyone we know and the the way we interact with ourselves. Feeling is what it is to be human in a lot of ways. And so the way that we feel matters. So to understand that our thoughts create those feelings and to understand that our thoughts are something that we have some control over. This is incredible. This means we have control over our feelings, which is just not something that most of us grow up believing. I for one always thought that how I felt had more to do with what I did and what people around me did and what kind of situation I was in And certainly there are other factors that are not within our control, but I didn't ever even factor in my own thoughts and let alone my ability to choose those thoughts. So when I learned this and when I heard it enough to where it really got in me, in my bones, and I just knew it and started living it out, so many things changed for me things that I thought would never change. So to illustrate this concept, I'm going to give you some examples. And the first few are, I'm going to call situational examples where something happens, something comes up, you think something about it, and then you feel something. Now, most of the time, we don't, we're not really conscious of thinking something about it. That just kind of happens in a split second. And we're already feeling, which is why it makes sense that We've, most of us spent our whole lives thinking that what happens causes us to feel a certain way because it happens so fast that our thoughts interpret what happens and create a feeling for us that we don't even know it's happening. So I've got two examples from this morning, actually. Um, Two of my sons have standardized math tests today at school and my older son this morning was saying, 
oh my gosh, I have this math test. It's the worst. It's going to be so lame and boring and whatever. He was complaining about this test. Well, his little brother was like, yes, I've got my math test today. I'm so excited. And <laughs> I thought this was so funny because it's the same. Um, it's rise testing. I don't know if, if that means anything outside of our school district, but um, they have the same thing going on. And one son is feeling awful, just dreading going to school. The other one's feeling excited. He can't wait. So why do they feel so differently about the same thing? Well, one of them is thinking things like, I'm so good at math. This is going to be fun. I'm going to get done with it so quick. And then I'll get to have free time or read or draw or whatever. The other one is thinking things like math is boring or math is hard or I'm not doing so well in this class. And he's actually quite good at math too, but it's just gotten to a harder level and it doesn't come as naturally. And so it makes sense that he would think this is hard or this isn't going to be fun, but it totally changes the way he's feeling. All right. Also this morning, um, I noticed that my dishwasher had not been run last night. It should have been. It was totally full of dirty dishes. So I was disappointed to see that it had not been run. And now this morning's dishes were piled up and some from last night. And, and so I just, in my head, I was thinking, oh, great. Now I've got like a big dishes problem to deal with rather than like having clean dishes ready to go. And what's funny here is that those thoughts made me feel kind of, um, I don't know, angry is a little too strong, I guess, annoyed. Um, and when I was feeling that, I didn't think to start the dishwasher, even though it was loaded and ready to go. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. My reaction was to just like walk away and do something else and be like, ugh. I guess I'll have to do dishes later. And I think that's so funny because my annoyance blocked me from even thinking about running the dishwasher. Granted, I'm also a little bit low on sleep, so maybe that's part of it. But I just think it's so funny that the way I was thinking about the dishwasher of, oh, what a pain, nobody ran this. Now I have to deal with dishes made me annoyed and, and like leave and not even do anything about the situation that was so easy to do. Well, a few minutes later, I came back in and I thought, oh, I guess I could run the dishwasher now. So I did eventually think of it. Go me. But then when I went to run the dishwasher, I did have the thought, oh, at least it's already loaded and ready to go. How nice is that? And now I felt grateful instead of annoyed as I just spent, you know, 10 seconds starting the dishwasher instead of having to gather up the dishes and load them and everything. I was now feeling grateful about the same full dirty dishwasher that just a few minutes earlier I was feeling so annoyed about just from one different thought in my head. I feel like I give a lot of kind of trivial examples because they just um, illustrate concepts really well, really easily. But this example is a little heavier. Um, there's somebody on Instagram. Uh, her Instagram name is the Tia B Stokes. That's B-E-E, -E, like the buzzing bee. And I think she's pretty well known, especially on TikTok. But I've been following her for a couple of years. 
um, and she has been battling leukemia. And she's doing much better now than when I first found her on the internet. But she's known for having such a great attitude and outlook, even throughout this super hard thing. When I first found her, she was fighting leukemia and COVID at the same time. And I think she even maybe lost one of her parents somewhere in that same time frame. And just, you know, it when it rains, it pours. And she was going through so much and maintaining this attitude of being grateful each day she was alive, grateful for being able to see her kids, you know, through the window because they couldn't come in to see her because of COVID. And, you know, there were, they, she had so much to complain about, so much that she could be angry and hopeless. And, you know, all of these feelings would be completely justified. And I'm sure she's had her moments of all of those. But she shares this outlook that's full of hope, full of faith, full of gratitude, and just kind of this, this attitude of like, well, what do I have going for me? And I, I think that's so inspiring. I think not everyone can do that to the level that she has. But one thing I noticed in her post is that she refers to this whole journey of having cancer um, as her opportunity. And I think she puts it in quotation marks, which I think is appropriate. But um, it's interesting to me that she chooses that word where our general tendency would be to call it a trial or a hardship or a tragedy or something along those lines. But she calls it an opportunity, at least publicly. I have no idea what things are like for her, you know, but I, I think she's very genuine. And I love the word choice of opportunity because definitely the hard things that come to us in our lives, the things we don't choose, that, that we don't want, they always bring with them an opportunity for growth and learning and sometimes strengthening relationships or new relationships and new connections and other opportunities. So please understand, I'm not saying that there is a right way to feel when one has cancer or when you're going through anything difficult. But I guarantee that her using that word opportunity changes the way she feels to some degree. I'm sure she's not super excited about everything she's been going through, but she has found a way to lift herself up and lift up so many others by the way she chooses to think about this. I think that's amazing. All right, I wanna give some examples that are more um, habitual rather than situational. Now, our brains do this interesting thing where they want us to be right. They want all of our thoughts to be correct. And so they go about proving them right. And they do a really good job, by the way. But what happens is if I think something, I know I use this example all the time, but it's ever present to a lot of moms. But if you think something like, I'm a bad mom, then your brain is like, okay, the thought to prove is I'm a bad mom. And then it looks around for all of the reasons that that could be true. All the evidence it can find to prove that thought to be true. And you even end up creating more evidence by the way that you behave. When you think that, when you believe that, your brain is going to find the evidence to prove that it's true. So 
our brains are really good at this in our present, but they're also really good at this looking through our past for evidence to prove whatever thought we're thinking now. When I was growing up, I did not swim well. I was scared to swim. Um, I would feel like panicked in the water a lot of the time. I mean, if anything went wrong, I loved to be in the water as long as I could stand, feel the ground. Um, I was always, you know, my, my cousins had a swimming pool and every time we went over there, everyone wanted to teach me how to swim and I just wanted them to leave me alone because I knew it was hopeless. I was just resigned to the fact that I was a non-swimmer and I would never learn to swim even though everybody else could do it. And I just, like, I didn't like that, but I was resigned to it. And part of that came from what my mom told me about me and swimming. She said that she put all her kids in swim lessons when they were very young, including me. She said I was, you know, just maybe two or three and doing very well. She said they got a little excited about how well I was doing in swim lessons. And so they kind of pushed me and ended up pushing me too hard. And then I just shut down. These are her words. This is not my memory. I don't remember this at all. But I do remember her telling me that and just accepting it as, oh, well, there you have it. I shut down when I was three and I will never swim. My mom felt bad about it. She said she had, you know, regrets. And I was like, yeah, this is your fault. I will never swim because of you. And that's that. Now, I don't expect, you know, an eight-year-old or whatever to take responsibility for their own life. But I have seen that until you take responsibility, you don't have any power either. So as a kid growing up being told the sad tale of when I was pushed too hard in swim lessons and shut down, I had no power to change that, to change myself into a swimmer because I was stuck in that thinking that I can't swim and it's because of my mom or my swim teacher or whoever. Now, I've since learned some other things about me in connection with swimming and I'll get to that later, but I want you to see that because I thought that way, I felt resigned, I felt hopeless, and because I felt that way, I never did learn to swim. Until college, actually. I got sick of not learning how to swim. And, you know, I was moving out, living on my own, doing what I want. And I thought, yeah, I can learn to swim too. So I took a swimming class in college and I learned how to swim. And by the end of the semester, I was even diving, which is definitely something I thought I would never, ever be able to do. I'm still not a great swimmer and I'm fine with that. But I'm so proud of my college age self for overcoming the thinking that made me feel so hopeless about myself ever being able to swim and then taking charge and doing something about it. My second example of habitual thinking is being a late person. You may have heard me talk about this on a previous podcast, but um, I've always been a late person. My whole family was a late family. And along the same lines as swimming, I just felt hopeless always that like, I guess I'm just a late person. I was born this way and there's nothing I can do about it. I just, it seemed, I mean, obviously I tried. I tried setting alarms and changing habits and, you know, doing all kinds of things to help me with those actions. But beneath all those actions were still the thoughts of I'm a late person and always will be. This is hopeless. I can't seem to change no matter what I do. 
And when you're thinking stuff like that, you're going to feel defeated. And if you feel defeated already before the alarm even goes off, your chances of success are not great. And then of course, when you have these little failures, your brain uses those as evidence to prove your thought true, that you will always be late. You can't change no matter what you do. Now, I do know how to be on time to things, but it is still not my default setting. And it's not something that I think about all the time, but a few months ago, it occurred to me that maybe I could change. Maybe my default could change. So I've been working on that and actually having a lot of fun um, approaching and learning about the idea of punctuality through, the, through my thoughts. It's been really interesting, but I didn't learn any of the stuff that I'm learning now until I changed the thought from, I guess I'll always be a late person to, well, I could be an on-time person. I could change my default setting. Why not? With other thoughts, like I wonder how I would do that. What would it take? What would that look like? Which those, those thoughts create curiosity and a desire to learn more and try more which absolutely has affected my behavior. And guess what? My brain is going to use that as evidence to prove my new thoughts true, that yeah, I can be an on-time person. So keep that in mind. You give your brain an awesome thought to think and it will prove that true too. You can use this to your advantage. Now, sometimes our thoughts are a little harder to identify. They're under the surface, they are not conscious. And we're just dealing with the feelings that they create. I had a client a while back who was angry at work or about work a lot of the time and just felt dread to, to go into work and, and just didn't like the whole situation. And as we worked together, we uncovered this thought of they don't value me. And so everything that happened at work was seen through the lens of they don't value me. Now, I'm not saying that everything at work was totally great and they were just looking at it wrong. There are definitely things that go on at work that are dumb, right? People do stupid things. They say things in a way that's not helpful. They don't communicate well. You know, there's, there's stuff to be upset about. But with an underlying feeling of the people here don't appreciate me or don't value me, that made everything worse. Absolutely. Everything that would have felt bad felt worse. And when you feel terrible at work, how well do you work? Not great. So this client was actually potentially creating a situation where their work was less valuable because they thought others didn't value them. Now, did others value them or not? I don't know. I will never know. But when we shifted the focus to do I value myself? Do I value the work that I do? Then the client felt better and did better at work. Okay, so thoughts create feelings. So what? What are we supposed to do about this? Well, the first thing we do is just pay attention. Start paying attention to your thoughts and how they correlate to your feelings. And you might start to notice patterns or just surprising things that you didn't realize were going on in your head. Um, sometimes though, it really can be hard to uncover your thoughts 
because so much of our thinking is just done beneath the radar. We just don't even notice it. And so that's where I come in. That is one of the main things that I help my clients with is to just recognize what they are thinking. I've learned how to ask really good questions and get to the bottom of things where we can find out what's actually going on in your head because I promise it's affecting you. And once we have that awareness, then we have the power to decide what to do with these thoughts. Sometimes it's immediately obvious that these thoughts are just garbage and it is pretty easy to just let go. Other times it's easy to see that the thoughts are garbage, but it's harder to let go. Sometimes these thoughts are so ingrained in us, so practiced in our minds that it can be really hard to let them go or change. In those cases, I have tools to help um, help you see it a different way, kind of pick apart the thinking and loosen it up till you get to that point where you can really take ownership of that thought and decide, I'm done with this. And then I have tools to help you step your way into different thinking too. And then there are other times when it seems just more complicated than that. We don't know what's true yet or what we want to believe or we don't know all the factors going into it or we don't understand all the factors. For example, if we go back to little me swimming, um, I have always had this memory, as long as I can remember, of being in a swimming pool and standing up and walking along the bottom because I knew that, or I thought that it would get gradually deeper and I wanted to know where, um, how far I could go before it was too deep for me. I was just testing out the water. But this swimming pool didn't, didn't gradually get deeper. It had a drop off. And I remember the feeling in my toes of stepping off that little drop. And the next thing I remember is a lifeguard jumping in. And I remember my aunt who was there. We were with cousins and stuff. My aunt was like kneeling kind of over me looking at me. Now, as a kid, I remembered that and I thought, man, that was scary. That one time when we went to the pool, I didn't think that much of it. Now, as an adult, at some point, I thought about that memory and realized that probably something quite traumatic happened to me. And then it made sense why even when I stopped thinking that it was hopeless and I'd never be able to swim, even then did I have a really hard time overcoming my fear of the water. The sense of panic that I feel anytime something goes wrong in the water. And yes, I still have this. Just six months ago, I was in California and swimming in the ocean. And I love the ocean. But I generally don't go out too far because it also freaks me out. My husband loves to swim in the ocean and he goes a lot farther than I do. And he said, come out and swim with me. So I went a little farther than I usually go. And I was doing okay. But there was a big wave that came that completely knocked me over and then pulled me under. And it was, you know, probably just a few seconds before I found my way to the surface. But I mean, just complete panic. I, I was 
totally freaked out. I wanted nothing to do with the water after that. And I thought, oh, well, there's that. I still have that instinct in me. I have asked my mom, by the way, about the swimming pool incident. She knows nothing about it. Absolutely nothing. And I need to call my aunt and ask if if she remembers because she was the one kneeling over me. But I don't know what happened. And I don't fully understand why I respond that way. I know that, you know, if I had a thought like, this is scary, I, I have the ability to counter that thought with, I know what to do, or this is shallow, or my husband's right here, I can grab him, or I have a life jacket on, you know, in any situation I might be in, I can talk myself out of scary thoughts. But this, this panic thing is different. And I don't think I can talk myself out of it. I think our bodies have a way of remembering things that is separate from our conscious thinking. And I don't know that much about that. And maybe someday I'll get help with that. Maybe I'll learn more about it. But for now, what is helpful for me is to just know that about me, to plan for that, make sure I always have whatever resources are going to help me know that I'm safe in case of a panic like that, and then be patient in the way that I respond to myself, the way I respond to my response. When that happened last year in California, I was a little discouraged thinking, gosh, haven't I overcome this? But I reminded myself that there are factors at play that I don't understand. And until I do understand, and even beyond that time, my job is to treat myself with love and kindness and just pay attention and increase my awareness of both my body and my automatic responses and my thoughts. Paying attention to your thoughts is one of the most powerful things you can do. And just the idea of paying attention to your thoughts, of watching your thoughts, helps you separate yourself from your thoughts because you are not your thoughts. They don't define who you are. They don't stay forever. They can change and ultimately they are at your command if you're willing to watch them challenge them, and decide what to do with them, which allows you to choose how you're going to feel as well. Well, there you have it. The mind-blowing concept that has totally changed my life for good, changed who I am, and given me so much more control over the way I feel about situations, the way I feel in general in my life, and really everything I do. I know this concept can empower you as well. And as always, I'm here to help. Sometimes it's just really hard to get a handle on your thoughts, let alone even find what they are. And that's when you need a coach. Go to mollycash.com free. And there you can pick a time to talk with me one-on-one on Zoom. There's no sales pitch. I just want to help you with your brain. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week.